Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And look, it's the holiday season. That's why BetOnline remains the number one source for all your football betting needs because they got the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. They got free contests, live scores, giveaways all season long. So what are you waiting for? Head over to BetOnline.ag right now. Receive a 100% welcome bonus. That's right, 100%. When you use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive that reward, BetOnline, where the game starts starts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming into the pod uh this is a holiday special here right now we're going to talk a little documentary and we're going to talk a little hoops uh i'm bringing these guys on here right now because i got a chance to check out this documentary that's shooting up the charts right now um, all over itunes and wherever you're getting streaming and vod right now so we're going to talk a little bit about that let's bring him in uh he is a part-time hoops honcho he's a full-time uh, he is a full-time executive producer, director of the music documentary Party Dream that we're talking about today. It's Aaron Hagel. What's up, Aaron? What up, Joey? How cool is this? I'm on and we're talking about something other than sports, but we're going to still talk about sports. But this is pretty cool, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm so happy. Uh, I'm so happy and proud for you, man. I'm so happy to talk about it today. Let's bring in your better half, uh, also executive producer and director of the documentary Party Dream. This man has never seen a fantasy hoop season like the one that I'm putting up this year. I am so garbage that I am historically playing for Wembanyama somehow when I'm probably not going to get him. It's Tim Slowkowski. What's up, Tim? Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, yeah, I got first place in fantasy last year, and I'm planning on doing it again. So enjoy, enjoy it uh, while it lasts. Yeah, I'm looking up at you both with binoculars up at the top right now because my fantasy team is garbage. Uh, we're here today to talk about their documentary um, that is now streaming right now. That is, look, I got a chance to see it. It's so amazing. Uh, it's about it's called Party Dream. It's about the band Gil Montera's Party Dream. Um, we're going to get into it. If you're not familiar with the band, you will be by the end of this conversation. Uh, gentlemen, I want you to both weigh in. But um, Aaron, if you want to go first, um, dude, I've known you for forever. Uh, we've been talking, you've been talking about this documentary for years. So let's just start with something that's personal for you guys. You know, how hard is it to make a documentary and how hard was it to make this documentary? Uh, well, this is our first documentary, so we can't compare it, but it was really, really hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically Tim and I had this idea back in 2010. We talked ourselves out of it. How are we going to make a music documentary? I'm in LA. He's in Chicago. Uh, fast forward to the summer of July 2014. Uh, my wife Melissa and I were back home, staying with uh, Tim and his wife Megan. Tim had some tunes going on. Uh, Gilman Terra's Party Dream came on, and uh, Melissa was like, "Whatever happened to the idea you guys had about that music doc? You guys should do that." And we were like, "Oh yeah." So we just started spitballing ideas. Uh, came back to LA. We did uh, a couple months of research on how to make a documentary um, and how to make a film, um, and then we did a bunch of research on the band, which led us to uh, December 2014. We tried going through all the proper channels uh, to contact these guys, but nobody heard from them. Uh, so we eventually hit up Ultimate Donnie on Facebook and said, uh, hey, man, my buddy gave an idea to do a documentary about you and your brother if you're down. And then he got back. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And we were like, holy shit. And that's what kind of started the whole journey of making the movie. Yeah, Tim, yeah. hop in on this. Uh, I just want to get your opinion, too, because when you start in 2014, it comes out in 2022. You know, in your mind's eye. <laughs> When, I mean, what did you think? Like, oh, this will take a couple of years or, or you know, where, where were you coming from with this? Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, seven years later and uh, it was super easy. No big deal. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I always say, like, if, if you would tell me now, like, looking back over all this time, like, how much work we would have had to have done to get this thing finished, I mean, there's no way in hell I would have ever done it. Uh, but luckily, uh, we were naive enough to just kind of step in back in, I mean, we officially started in February of 2015 with our first interviews. Um, and really, it was just like, take it one step at a time, you know, um, it was like, do that first round of interviews, meet with Ultimate Donnie slash Richie, uh, get to know him and hang out with him. And then it was after that, it was just like, okay, what do we do next? And it was, you know, we went to LA and we did interviews and then we went to Nashville and we interviewed Patrick Carney from the Black Keys and, you know, did, did another round of stuff. And then eventually you start getting all the footage together and editing it. And next thing you know, it's uh, years go by and here's a worldwide pandemic as well, which is always fun, um, that gets in the way. But uh, yeah, we just kind of put one foot in front of the other over all this time. And next thing you know, it's seven years later, but hey, it's finally out. So that's that's the good news. Yeah, Tim, quick follow up on that. You know, when you start down this road, down this path, do you ever start saying to yourself, man, do you ever get caught up in the game of, man, we need more. We need more footage. We need we need to move. When do you what? When do you get your finger on the pulse of, man, our story is complete, man, we can finally stop trying to maybe tell the story and start putting it into an editing bay? You know, how did that process work out? Yeah, I mean, really, the interviews are what kind of tell the story. Um, we didn't go into this with a, a full-fledged vision of like, all right, here's what it's going to be. Um, it was more about like letting the story come to us and talking to different people. And then you kind of find out what the story wants to be over time. Um, but yeah, we had... So not only that, we had all the interview footage, then we had all the concert footage to go through. So we had like tens of hours of footage um, that we had to narrow down into an actual movie. So that, that you know, that alone takes a super long time. Um, but yeah, I think once we were like, <laughs> it sounds silly, but a couple of years into it, um, that's finally when it was like, all right, we got most of our interviews done. We kind of have an idea for what the story should be. Um, but to be on, to be completely honest, it wasn't totally finished until we went back to see Richie in 2019, um, for the final interviews. And by that point, as you see in the movie, he is, his whole life has taken on a different, uh, shape at that point. So that was really when it was like, okay, now we kind of have our ending in a way. Um, so it really took four years for it to feel like, all right, now we have like a, we have definitely got a beginning where we started in 2015. And now in 2019, this seems like a proper finish. So, yeah, for someone I, I got personally got a chance to see the doc um, at a festival about a month ago. And uh, we're not going to do a lot of spoilers on this because I really want people listening to this right now to go out and check the doc. Because honestly, um, you know, it is serendipitous, right, that it took this long to pull together, because as you mentioned in 2019, there is a really, really interesting pivot in the documentary, in the storytelling that you're trying to do um, that makes it so worthwhile and so satisfying towards the end. Aaron, um, let's uh, let's bring the audience in. What is Gil Mantera's party dream? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? That is a, like, that's such a tough question. Actually, that was yeah. um, a question we asked every everybody in the interview was, how do you describe these guys? And every response started with uh, like, oh, uh, cause you can't, you know, like it's yeah. really, really hard. Uh, we asked Richie, you know, if you had to really describe it, what would it be? And he said synth pop. So they grew up like, um, new order fans, um, a lot of like early electronic craft work and stuff, but they also grew up listening to like 
early eighties hip hop out of New York, you know, like, and that's where Richie's like freestyle comes in. Um, you know, he was influenced by Dolomite, the comedian. So he talked in between um, songs to the crowd saying crazy shit. He got that from Dolomite, which is not a lot of lead singers have an inspiration like Dolomite. Um, and then, I don't know, it's just like a, I think Party Dream actually describes it pretty well. I don't know, it's a dream and it's a party. And every show that we would go to, it, they were just so fun, dude. Like, I'm kind of bummed to get a chance to go see him. We used to see him at Empty Bottle quite a bit uh, back home in Chicago. Um, but yeah, it was it was like a good party every time. It was just so fun and just nothing else like it. Yeah, and Tim, isn't the story correct where, you know, the the birth of, of wanting to do this documentary was you guys, did you, you guys randomly saw them right live, right? I mean, you didn't go to purchase tickets. You weren't aware of them before. And their live performance alone was the first thing that sparked the inspiration that became now Party Dream, the documentary. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the origin story is back in 2006, we were actually going to the Metro to see Art Brute, which is another band um, that's actually uh, great and pretty funny on their own. So we were excited to see them. And then we were in line uh, at, at the Metro to get in. And I randomly ran into an old high school friend who was like, oh, hey, man, what's going on? Who are you here to see? And I was like, well, we're here to see Art Brute. And he's like, no, you're not. You're here to see the opening band. I was like, okay. Like we didn't even care about the opening band. We didn't even look it up. He's like, they're Gilman Terra's party dream. You got to get upstairs and you got to see them. And I was like, they're who? Like what? <laughs> he's like, trust me, man, just get upstairs. You're not going to regret it. So thank God I ran into that guy because we would not be sitting here right now talking about it because it was a completely random encounter. And Aaron and I would have just went and got some beers and missed the opening act. Um, but instead we went upstairs and we saw Gilman Terra's Party Dream for the first time. And within about, you know, 30 seconds, it was obvious, like, these guys are insane. I, whatever they're doing, I love it. I don't even know what they're doing. Um, you know, Ultimate Donnie was on stage, you know, doing his spiel, like doing all the crazy talk that he does. And then the music was good. And they were like, he was like eating an apple and throwing it into the audience. It was just like, what the hell is going on here? Which to me is, that's my number one favorite thing whether it's any kind of art, like seeing a movie or going to see a band or listening to music, it's, if you can say, what the hell is this? That's such a cool thing because that means it's unique. It hasn't been done before and it really grabs you. So that was our experience the first time seeing them, like right away it grabbed us. And uh, you know, that was back in 2006. So we're talking 16 years ago and here we are still talking about these guys. So they did, they did something right. Yeah, that's such an interesting take from both of you, because when I watched it, you know, it does remind me of, you know, not the same, but they're in the same class as, as what a Guar or an Aquabats would bring to the table, where it's a little bit about, and I, I asked the question of what is Gilman Terra's party dream, because in my opinion, it's like, not what is it, but what will they do this time when you talk about their live performance, and I think that was a part of the big hook, and for those people that want to check out the documentary, it's one of the most entertaining selling points is that these their, their live performances were so unique and captivating. And that's what you want. Like Tim, when you talk about it, when you go and see someone live, you want it to be memorable. You want to walk out telling someone the next day at school or at work, man, I saw this band last night. I don't even know if I can describe to you what I saw, but holy shit, it's amazing. And Aaron, you know, speak a little bit, you know, and, and Tim, I want to hear from you too, but you guys, we all have a comedy background. And that had to have been something that really resonated with you too as well. I want to get to the music, but let's just stick on the performance side where the, it is subversive, perverted comedy, you know, uh, in your face, all that at the same time. 
Yeah, no, I mean, continuing with the first time we saw them, you know, the holy shit, what's going on? The, you know, part of that story is the very next day, Tim came over, uh, you know, we're hanging out and we couldn't stop talking about Gilman Terrace partying. Again, like, holy shit, like these guys are thinking outside the box. It's really cool. And we, you know, we were studying at Second City together at that time. And um, we loved that aspect of it, you know, and with our, our comedy um, heroes as well, like Andy Kaufman and people fucking with the audience and all that, but it really inspired us and in our comedy. And right then and there, we started our sketch group merchandise based off of the spirit of Gil and Donnie. We just loved what they did. And that really, really influenced our comedy starting out and like what we were going to do. So it was like basically like kind of like Gil and Donnie in a way, like you're either going to get it or you're not. And if you get it, you're going to love it. And if you don't get it, you're going to hate it. And we were cool with that. So it completely influenced our comedy. I mean, they had such confidence on stage. And I think that's a big difference between like Guar and um, some people online have said, um, compare them to the tubes, which I kind of looked up. The main oh, yeah. difference between Gil and Donnie um, is that their shit was not, it wasn't rehearsed. Nothing was rehearsed ahead of time. I mean, besides the music, of course, because Ultimate Donnie, he never said the same thing twice. That was all improv, dude. You know how that shit is. Like, sometimes it's really funny. A lot of times it, it sucked. I like, I watch a lot of the footage and sometimes you're like, dude, there's some bad lines in there, you know? Not bad, but just like not funny because improv sometimes is not funny. Um, but no, nah, these guys were like legit funny, but going back, we'll get to the music as well. Like they, yeah, the, the music was awesome, man. It wasn't just like funny shit. Cause I've, you know, we've seen goofy bands before, like, okay, cool. But like, what's the staying power with that? And Gil and Donnie had staying power. They had actually awesome songs. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll follow up on that with um, my brother actually finally got a chance to see the documentary. Um, and his big thing was that what he liked about the band was how authentic they were. Meaning like, they really put themselves out there and we're just like, we don't give a shit. Like this is <laughs> a sincerity and nihilism. <laughs> like, yes, you know exactly. I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like these guys like, Hey man, take it or leave it. Like we're taking off our clothes. We're, we're going to be goofy as hell. We're going to get hammered on stage. We're going to play this music. And like, that's what my brother really responded to that. He's like, I really appreciate it about these guys. And I, he's like, I could see where you guys were into them. Cause it's like, when you see something like that live, when people are putting themselves out there like that, it's, it's, it, you know, as we said, it's inspiring. Like for us, it was absolutely inspiring. Like the next day we got together and we're like, all right, how do we do some version of that? Like, we're not going to be like these guys, but like, what's our version of that where we can like really put ourselves out there and uh, be, you know, our authentic selves, like, th like these guys are. Um, Luckily, we didn't take our clothes off because that would have that would not <laughs> that wouldn't have worked. But uh, we found our way into uh, doing something kind of like that. <laughs> I'm just thinking of you guys on the festival circuit, just just naked <laughs> and, and eating apples and throwing them in the audience, really embodying yeah. it. Aaron, how not? I was going to say real quick, you mentioned Guar. Um, you know, we had to cut a lot of shit out of the movie. But one of the stories is that Gil and Donnie opened up for Guar for two oh. shows, oh. only two shows. Yeah. Um, so basically, they opened up for him. Uh, the tour manager, Andrew Skickney, who's in the movie, you know, he's like, they opened up for him. We thought they were kindred spirits. Their fans would get it. And they did it. Um, and Richie said, he's like, they were like throwing like shit on stage. Like, he's like, it got scary. So they had to cancel their part of the tour after two shows with Guar. That's so disappointing to hear because 
you know what i took away from what you guys are talking about now and you think about it from a performer's aspect and a comedian's aspect you know there are times where this is a mode in a in a game that you can try you know if you don't if you aren't exactly sure of what you're doing all you need to do is get the audience to react and then that's the game you know and that takes on all different kinds of levels are you going to offend them um, are you going to make them cry, make them laugh, whatever it is, but you're really just going out there and looking for a reaction. And that's what they did. What's so interesting about this band though, is that they then started getting a response and it seemed like they had a communication a little bit with the audience where you could see the level. And I'm going to say it, the level of the art and the craftsmanship began to be elevated because what they were doing to get that reaction, got that response. So there's like a dialogue going on between the fans and and party dream whether they like to say it or not right they love to play the game that you know oh we like richie especially we don't know what we're doing out there and it kind of leads me a little bit towards uh the transition of i think a big part of your documentary is the story of the two brothers um and it is a little bit in terms of the music industry a tale as old as time uh siblings that play creatively in a band together and who knew who, who would think they don't get along um tim so you know i there's something really really special that you guys do with your storytelling in this documentary so i don't want to give away too much but can you kind of give the, the audience a little bit of a teaser of the dynamic musically and personality wise between glenn and richie who are uh gilmantera and ultimate donnie in party dream yeah for sure i mean like that's the thing is the music and the live act would be almost enough really like we could have just done a documentary about like oh look at how crazy these guys are and that's you know that's that's kind of like the entry in but then the rest of the story is about a story of family and that's what we found out doing all these interviews um because the thing about these guys is like back when we saw them you know they have these aliases it's it's Gilmantera and ultimate donnie and they're where they look like almost like these a wrestling tag team kind of um and that when even when they did interviews they never said their real names or any of that stuff so we did research on them beforehand but we honestly couldn't find out much about them um like they would say oh we're brothers on stage and stuff like that but we you know you look at those these two guys like there's no way these guys are brothers like one's like a blonde guy and one's like dark haired and they don't look alike at all so what ended up happening was we did these interviews and we find out pretty uh soon that there's uh stepbrothers um and somebody even uh commented when they watched our movie it's almost like if Step Brothers, the movie became like a band <laughs> they um, actually did the band that they're talking about <laughs> yeah exactly um and that, that's actually a pretty you know it's a pretty good way of putting it but uh yeah so the ultimate donnie was eight years old and uh gilmantera slash glenn was one uh when these two when their families came together so they're, they're stepbrothers but they're basically brothers you know they grew up together and um uh ultimate donnie kind of was almost a babysitter in a way like looked after him and like brought him up and introduced him to music and stuff like that and then one day they start a band um so yeah that was really cool was because we we wanted our movie to be more than just about the music so what was awesome is that it developed into this story about family and about brothers and about you know how it's tough to like keep that stuff going you know like these guys were doing a live act that was absolutely insane for anybody to do but if it's two brothers you know doing it that adds a whole other flavor uh to the story so yeah it, when you watch the movie there's all this depth to it that happens like over time and what happens to them after they break up and all that stuff and 
you know, that to us was just as important as the crazy antics and, and the music and all that. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, it, like to a saying, it's like you show all the crazy shit, fine, whatever. But really, with any story, right, you need to make it as primal as possible. So these are brothers, it's family. And we just try to hammer that home the whole time, you know, like that's the link throughout this whole thing. Cause it is, it's about brothers, it's about family, it's about love and how that worked and maybe didn't work. So that was one thing we really try to make sure that was a through line throughout the whole thing. No, and I think you guys did a beautiful job. And and for me, I I, I found it refreshing and surprising cause you're kind of walking in and you start to get into the documentary a little bit. And then of course you really get down to the human element of it, which I really, really appreciated in it. And, you know, I don't know if this is an answerable question, but they feel like that they're just kind of, and that's the problem. That's what happens sometimes in bands, right? They just felt like that they're kind of, they treated their creative endeavors differently. I think that's fair to say. Right. And I, I probably, I mean, which, which, which side do you guys probably land on? I probably land a little bit closer to the Glenn side. In my opinion, Glenn was the guy who, didn't want you to think he was taking it seriously, but deep down he was really deeply taking it seriously where ultimate Donnie was probably the guy who wasn't taking it seriously, but also at the same time wanted to continuously live in that moment of spontaneity of, of live artistic creation and got his kicks off that way. Do you guys lean one way or the other creatively or which one do you probably relate with a little bit more in your life? Well, Don, Donnie says, uh, actually, at one point in the movie, he says, well, uh, he brought the hard work, referring to Glenn, like he brought the hard work and I brought the here I am. Yeah. And that like that really sums it up. It's like one guy's like diligent, like creating the music and working hard. And then like here comes this guy, like the charismatic front man who's just like, all right, let's go. Uh, you know, I'm just going to talk off the top of my head. He literally like made up lyrics in the studio. Like, you know, he, he never wrote down lyrics. He was just like, just making shit up as it went along. So, but that's the dynamic that made it so awesome was like the, the one guy who's like really thinking ahead and thinking about the music and what's this going to sound like and what's this going to be, what's our persona. And then the other guy's just like showing up and being like, I'm the funny, crazy guy. I got the charisma. Let's go. Um, but as far as like, I did relate to Glenn because I have an older brother myself um, who's like 11 years older than me uh, Gil and Donnie they're like seven years difference but anyway I could relate to the idea of being the younger brother and it takes you a long time to kind of come into your own and then once you do you almost have this antagonistic thing like I did with my brother like oh he's the coolest guy in the world but it's like no wait a minute now I'm grown up and I have my stuff that I like and I want to be a fully formed person and not in my brother's shadow. So I absolutely uh, related to Glenn in that way. I think when the band started, you can see like it's, it's ultimate Donnie's show. Like he's the guy, like everyone's, you know, paying to see and uh, Gil is kind of in the background the whole time, literally. Um, but then as time goes on, you see in the movie, like he comes into his own Um so yeah, I absolutely relate to that. Like, you know, kind of growing up and wanting to be your own person and not wanting to be in your brother's shadow. So that's another part of the story that uh, is super interesting. Yeah, I think too, like, you know, they're in their twenties, right? You're still growing up and trying to figure all this shit out. Yeah. But I think if they had recognized, you know, Glenn's very organized, ready to go and all that shit. Rich, he's a, he's a lead, he's a lead singer, dude. <laughs> You know, like that's his thing. And if they had recognized, like, 
Yeah, Glenn is super prepared. Like that's his thing. Cool, do it. Richie, this is his thing. Do it. They could have like kept on going, I think. Maybe not doing that live show necessarily, because that's a tough show to do, but musically. I think they could have like, if they had recognized what each other's strengths were and how they benefit each other, I think they definitely could have kept going. Well, you guys do a beautiful job of capturing it. You know, you're not leading, uh, you're not leading the interview and you're not leading the story. And, and Tim, you know, you've brought up some great, you know, some sound bites and, and to Richie's credit too, as well, like the way that you guys propose the questions and get the answers out of them really kind of explains the story without you mapping it out for them, where in my opinion, it just seemed like they had this live show it was resonating with audiences and slowly but surely Gil starts writing actual good music. I mean, this is the part that I don't want to get mixed up here when people are wanting to check out this doc. I mean, it is wild. It's crazy. The, the live performance is, is cult. Like it's, it's something that people talk about as an urban legend, but then you get to this aspect of the music actually gets really good. And I think that meant a lot to Gil and, and Tim, when you're talking about, you know, Richie showing up in the studio and making up lyrics in the studio, cool rock and roll story, right? But for a guy who's spending so much time on his craft and his music and the music is elevating and the guy just isn't keeping up a little bit, you know, maybe that's where that divide continues to grow for a type of band like this. And that's why the documentary is also so interesting because this is a band that more or less uh, during its time should have been amongst that indie, um, you know, synth pop uh, little group that, that, you know, had that kind of bubble up around that particular time. And it's a great story about one of those bands that probably could have made it, got really, really close, but didn't. And now you guys are bringing that story back to life, which is so cool. I got a couple more for you. We are going to talk some hoops before we get out of here, but a couple of stuff I got to ask you. The audience has got to know. Um, you mentioned Patrick Carney of the Black Keys, um, obviously a big, huge name. Just talk about uh, getting him uh, in the room, getting him to sign up. What was his reaction at first when you were like, hey, do you want to do Party Dream? And uh, it was just such a great get for the documentary and really legitimizes, I think, the music musicianship and the importance of, of uh, Party Dream, you know, in its time. Yeah, Jim, so, uh, yeah, so uh, Patrick Carney, um, you know, is from the Black Keys are from Akron, Ohio, um, and Party Dream is from Youngstown, Ohio. So he actually saw them back in the day, uh, you know, and had the same reaction that we had, which was like, what the fuck? Like, who are these guys? What's going on with this? And at the time he had his own um, record label. It's called Audio Eagle. And he went, he approached uh, the guys in Party Dream and was like, hey, um, I'll, I'll put out your record if you guys are interested. And they were like, of course, like, that's awesome. <laughs> so um, he put out their, their best record, their most famous record. Uh, you can listen to it on Spotify right now. It's called blood songs. Um, and literally every single song is fantastic. Um, yeah. and that's Patrick Carney put that out. Um, so yeah, so we were like, that's a no brainer. We got to contact him and try and get him on camera, but thinking like, probably there's no way, like, you know, the black keys are a huge band and, you know, we were, I had no expectations whatsoever, but, um, I used to be a music writer back in the day. So I kind of knew the way to go about like how you contact bands and stuff like that and get a hold of them. So found out who their publicist was and contacted her and she's like, uh, yeah, like kind of whatever I'll talk to Patrick. Um, but he was, he was a yes immediately. He was, he's like, That's yeah, so of course. Cool. Yeah. He was, he was super nice. Of course I'll talk to these guys. Like, Cause I think the big thing was my selling point to them was like, I don't want to talk about the black keys. I want to talk about Gil Manterra's party dream. 
So I think that's why he was right away like, oh yeah, hell yeah, I'm on board with that. Um, and he's he lives in Nashville. So uh, yeah, they're like, can you come to Nashville this weekend? Um, and we were like, uh, uh, sure. Like uh, we, we didn't know how we were gonna do that, but you, you say yes, right? So we found a way to get to Nashville and we interviewed him. He could not have been nicer. Uh, you know, he was totally on board with the whole project and he loves the band, I think, which is what made it great. Um, and then even like to this day, like we're, you know, we approached him about, Hey, could, would you mind putting on an Instagram post for us? He's like, hell yeah. Like, wh what do you want me to say? Basically. So mm -hmm. anyway, uh, Patrick Carney has been like a huge, uh, a huge help to us this whole time. And he's been nothing but the nicest guy. So one of my favorite parts about the uh, that whole experience was the post interview. So we had 30 minutes. It was all official, you know, and we did it. We got the 30 minutes. Thank you. You know, we're getting breaking down the equipment or whatever. And, and he walks off to the side and he's got his team with him or whatever. And he's on his cell phone. Right. So I'm just thinking, you know, he's texting people, whatever. And he's going over and he's showing everybody YouTube clips of Gil and Donnie. And they're all fucking dying laughing. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, dude. So like it was really cool to see him pulling up all these videos and going, oh, and they're all just like just dying laughing. So like that was really cool just to see that. Yeah. And you guys mentioned um, you got the opportunity to screen it in Youngstown, which must have been such an amazing experience. Um, I want to hear from both of you on this, Aaron, if you want to go first. Um, talk about Youngstown, but also, I mean, I want I'm just really kind of interested in how you guys are personally um, ingesting and absorbing all of this. Right. I mean, it took you uh, many years to put this documentary out. I'm sure there was many moments where you guys had doubts and asked yourselves, is this thing ever going to get done? Will this ever see the light of day? Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and, and just to see you guys um, throughout the years continue to work on it and pursue it um, is such an inspiring thing. So Aaron, can you just talk a little bit about what it was like for you just personally now? You know, you guys are on the other end of this. It's finished. And, and you're in Youngstown. You I mean, in your wildest dreams, did you ever really think that moment, that, that, that image coming out of your own eyes was ever going to happen? Um, honestly, yeah, I did, you know, like Good. you got to keep the faith, man. And it, you know, it's like, you get to a point, it's like, you got all this footage. It's like, well, you can't turn back now. And you just got to, Like Tim was saying earlier, the whole time, it was just one foot in front of the other. Like you just kind of have to do it as it comes, you know? Um, and going to Youngstown for it was, yeah, man, it was really special. It was, it's still surreal to us that we did this shit, dude. Like, we would say it's like two two buddies made a music documentary about their all-time favorite live band. Like, how fucking cool is that? Like, it's still really, really surreal that it's done. The whole thing is surreal. Um, and the premiere was so cool to go to Penguin City finally. You know, like Tim and I have seen pictures of it online and everything. But once you get there, it's it's really impressive, man, to see like what he's done and where he's come from and everything. And um, and then like that night, you know, when we showed the movie, like it was super cool. It was Tim. Richie and me standing in the middle, basically in the back, and the three of us watching Party Dream together. And we're, you know, we're, we're seeing Richie laughing and, and singing along and, and all that stuff. And, and it was just like such a cool, special moment that like, I'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Like to me, that was uh, a moment that made it all worth it. You know, we're, uh, we're sitting at this guy's brewery and we're st we're standing it was the three of us it was me richie aaron we're kind of right behind the crowd who's watching this movie and everyone's reacting in the right way like people are laughing in the right spots and people are cheering and all this stuff and 
I mean, that's that's why you do it. It's like for that moment. So that was such an, a nice thing. And then I remember uh, afterwards, <laughs> Richie came up, up to both of us. He's like, guys, this thing could be huge. Like he was like, <laughs> so to hear that from like the guy who, you know, it's about him, basically, um, for him to have that much buy-in and enthusiasm, I mean, that's what you do it for. So, yeah, it was it was such a cool thing. Yeah, well, and Tim, follow up, man. I mean, just talk and bring the let the audience know right now. I mean, Party Dream is is doing really well right now. <laughs> I mean, people are checking it out. I mean, just let the audience know. Um, you know, just your your personal reaction to see how well that it's charting and streaming right now among music documentaries. Um, and 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 keep it simple for them. You know, where's the where's the easiest place for our audience right now to go go check it out? Well, yeah, I mean, one word, uh, Amazon. I mean. <laughs> Because uh, our we have a marketing guy that's helping us out, and he told us like you guys are on the main page on Amazon, and we're like wow, like that's all that sounds awesome, but we're like, does that you know usually happen or how you know how does that work? And he was like, no, it doesn't usually happen for an independent film like you guys. Like big studios pay big money to be on Amazon's big page, but then there's also a space for like the algorithm basically if your movie's doing well there it is it'll be on the front page so that was awesome you know and then we were on the itunes charts we were like number 34 out of all the documentaries in the world it's like what the hell like you know it's very surreal um so yeah but yeah go to itunes go to amazon go it's really it's you can go to youtube it's it's luckily we have a great distribution deal where you can pretty much get it anywhere um but yeah so it's it's doing way better than we thought it could do especially considering we're just a couple of, you know, you know us, we're a couple of douchebags who are made a movie. So <laughs> a couple of nut tappers over here. <laughs> no, uh, well, look, and like, and that's the thing that I, I want to get across, um, you know, before we move over to hoops is that, you know, obviously, you know, a lot, and a lot of times in this business, I want people to get across is, you know, you guys are both my friends and this isn't just some like, uh, let's bring a couple of buddies on to, to pump up, you know, and fuck around here on the documentary, like truly like, no buddying around. I went and saw it and it was like, I walked in knowing that I was going to enjoy it because I want to support you guys. And I'm so excited for the journey. And I know the journey that you've been through, but man, it is so good guys. It really is. I mean, you guys do such, do such a great job of balancing so many different elements, which is obviously um, the footage that you have of, you know, ultimate Donnie and Gil Mantera's party dream, which kind of speaks for itself of this, this crazy time, this time capsule moment in Youngstown of this band that only know, only knew so many people about. But again, you know, it's it's cut and paste so sharply where Tim, as you mentioned, man, there's so many different laugh moments in this thing. And then you guys really do a wonderful job of getting that storytelling going. And as the years go on, again, it just works out so perfectly where, you know, you get this long arc of of many different people's lives, you know what I mean? And it, there's so many different elements and levels to it where if you're someone that's asking themselves, do I want to check this out? I mean, it just checks so many different boxes for so many different kinds of people and such a huge reason why everyone needs to check it out. And, uh, and on that note too, as well, I'm not going to say one way or the other here. Gilman Terra's party dream could still be together guys. They might not. I don't know. You maybe have to just check out the documentary, but I want to talk music for just my last, my last section here right now. Uh, you mentioned blood songs. If you go on YouTube right now, the best way to check out uh, Gilman Terra's party dream to hear the music before you see the documentary is blood songs on YouTube right now. Um, so my question for you guys is if you're at, if you're at a concert of a one day concert of Gilman Terra's party dream, 
and we all know how the show goes. Everyone plays a set. They leave. Everyone claps, claps, claps. Everyone comes out for the encore. There's always that one encore song. For you guys, what is the Gilmantera Party Dream Encore song? I mean, is it Buffalo Tears? Is it Elmo's Wish? Is it something different, something off the board? Uh, you tell me, what is it for you guys personally? I don't know. To me, it's almost like uh, Jordan and who, you know, who's next? Buffalo Tears is the anthem, man. I mean, that's it. So to me, it's like, that's the one. And, you know, besides that, what's your favorite? And from there, I don't know. There's so many. Um, Makuji and Kismet is one of my favorites. Uh, Alligator Missions uh, is probably my other one. Tim? Yeah, I well, yeah, Buffalo Tears is the answer. That was always the one in concert where, you know, everybody's singing along and that's the one. Um, but a little personal favorite, I would say, is a song called Eyes of Blue. So uh, if people, before they check out the movie, if you want to, like, just go to YouTube and type in, you know, Gilman Terror's Party Dream, Eyes of Blue. They did this at uh, The Empty Bottle. It was shot by Stacy Goldschmidt, uh, who's a huge help to us. Like, she gave us a ton of her footage, and, you know, we're forever indebted to her. But she shot this um, this DVD of them at The Empty Bottle in Chicago. Um, so look up Eyes of Blue, and it's that's probably my purse because we were there that night. Uh, Aaron and I were there. Um, that's probably my personal favorite single performance. Um, and if you go and look it up and watch it, I think you'll understand why. And wait, oh god, I'm blanking out. They have a Christmas song, right? On Blood Songs, right? What, what is it? Brand new yeah. Christmas? Is that it? Brand new Christmas. Brand yeah, new Christmas. Christmas. Thank you. I we had a Christmas party last night, and I put it on uh, the playlist, and people were <laughs> like, yeah. "What's this?" And I was like, well, it's funny you should ask. It's a band I made a documentary about, um, which is not why I put it on the playlist. But anyway, yeah, put that on all your holiday playlists. Brave New Christmas. It's on Blood Song. <laughs> and then yeah, I'll get track. Find on YouTube is uh, Chocolate Pie 2 video, which is a great video that Stacey Goldschmidt also uh, shot. Uh, it's a great song as well. Real quick before I forget, got to give a quick shout out to our two uh, co-executive producers, mm. uh, Leo A. Kovlik Jr., and uh, another friend of ours as well, Mr. Cal Pacero. So we want to give a shout out to those two guys who are absolutely instrumental in helping us get this thing out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, guys, you guys put a really great team together uh, to help not just uh, to shoot the thing and put it together, but get across the finish line. Uh, the documentary is Party Dream. You can stream it right now on Amazon. You have to definitely check it out. Gentlemen, uh, I brought you on here to pump you up. And now I'm here to piss you off. It's time to talk about the Chicago Bulls, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Put your both hat on. Costume <laughs> change. Lights go down. Come back it's out. Gone. That's it. It's all over. Here we go. Let's go. Let's uh, do it. <laughs> Higgs, let's, Higgs. Talk, let's talk some shit. Yeah, hoops, honcho. Higgs, let's go first. Let's keep it simple. Should the Bulls blow it up? Uh, I, yeah, I, I was thinking about this answer yesterday, and I don't know. Here's the reason why, okay? I know. Uh, you know um, <laughs> <laughs> my, I'm leaning towards probably. Here's my thing, okay? <laughs> years ago. We got Booch halfway through the season, right? And at the end of that season, we said, well, you can't really judge this bull squad because they didn't get a whole year of Booch. We got to wait for next year. The next year, we get Lonzo, we get DeMar, we get Caruso, um, and, you know, we're crushing it. Lonzo goes down, Caruso goes down, can't properly judge this team. Now we got this year, Lonzo wasn't played at all. They've had one of the toughest schedules so far in the first half of the season. So, again, it's like we, again, don't have, like, our full squad. And I think if we had Lonzo back healthy, not that we're a championship team, but we're definitely a playoff contender, maybe like six or something like that. So my answer is leaning towards maybe blowing it up, but I, I still don't know about this team. I want to see them at full strength. 
All right. Well, my answer is blow the fucking thing up. Uh, <laughs> I'm a thousand percent sold on that angle. Here's where we're at. The Bulls are in NBA hell. And NBA hell means you're in the middle of the pack. It doesn't mean you're like the worst team because the worst team, hey, maybe you get Wembenyama. You know, that's that's not NBA hell. NBA hell is when you're in the middle and you're butting up against the ceiling because you're not going to get higher than that. Because that's the thing. Even with Lonzo, who I fucking love and would absolutely make this team way better. Um, still, okay, we have Lonzo. What are we going to do? We're going to beat Giannis in Milwaukee. We're going to beat that Boston crew. Like we're going to be Cleveland, the up and comers. Like I don't see it. I don't even see us like beating Toronto. So that's where I'm at. It's like, we're in NBA hell. Let's get out of NBA hell. Let's just sell off these parts. You know, Vooch is what, what is he? 33. DeMar's 33. They're all like about 32, 33. And they're, they're great, you know, but are they going to get you to the promised land? And my answer is decidedly no. So if your answer is no, blow it up. Who's so you know the one my my main question is you know does Arturis and Eversley are they good or are they bad I can't well, figure it out because initially it's like hey man it's not Gar Pax so I don't give a shit like anybody yeah. but Gar Pax and these guys came with a good resume and all this stuff and we're like hey man let's let's see what these guys do and they started cleaning house that Vooch trade I think all of us were like hey man well if it works out and they really think this is the guy then maybe it's worth it. It's kind of backfired. Um, a lot of their moves have not worked. Patrick Williams has not fucking panned out at all. Mm -mm. And so now I'm starting to think, do these guys suck? Or is it just weird circumstances? They have, you know, especially with Lonzo's knees. Again, if we had him, I think it would be a different team. But that's my main thing now is like, is it their fault? You know, and if, it, if so, like, what the fuck are they going to do now? You know, sell off all these parts. And you said, great. To who and for what? Yeah. Well, it, it gets it gets really scary, right? Where there's two things. Like you got to be honest with yourself. One, uh, after Gar and Pax, right? We were willing to date anybody. You yes. know what I mean? After we broke up with them, we were just we were just fucking happy to have a conversation that didn't involve Gar and Pax anymore. And and I'm starting to worry myself. Did we mistake um, activity for accomplishment on this one? And yeah. you know, my biggest issue was. And look, Higgs, man, you're bringing up a really good point. When the Bulls were 27 and 11 last year, that was the most fun. I've had watching Bulls basketball in at least seven, eight, you know, maybe even go back nine years at that particular Days time. Derek Rose and Lou Aldan. Yeah. And, yeah, like and we, yeah. yeah. And Tim, we were kicking the shit out of teams and a lot of it had to do with Lonzo ball. And remember we were like trading texts with each other about like Caruso and Lonzo balls, perimeter defense stats. You know what I mean? Like it was like stuff like that. It's like, we don't need to rebound if no one can get in the paint. Cause no one can get past our two guards. You know, it really, it really was trending in a particular direction, but now, Dude, I'm leaning towards Tim on this one. I think this is a blow it up situation because, you know, this had an expiration date of of competing on it. And, and I think we all know where it's heading. And I think we all want to try and stay competitive. But let's be honest, you know, and Chicago sports teams make this decision, this mistake all the time of you just wait a little bit too long where the depreciative return value gets to a point where it doesn't really make sense anymore. We're kind of getting really close to that with, with guys like Vooch and DeRozan. And I'll be honest with you, I would trade Levine too as well if someone was yep. interested in doing that. And you're and, and Higgs, you said, what are we going to get back? Well, you know, obviously the Lakers are going to get – the Lakers are involved somehow in some of that shit. So get your Russell Westbrook jerseys ready uh, <laughs> for February for February and March, and we just bite the bullet and we eat it. But look – I mean, it, it's time. They definitely need to blow it up. 
and 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 in terms of the AK and Eversley thing, I'm really curious to see if they are willing to blow it up. What that looks like moving forward, because the one thing that hasn't worked out either is we got Vooch, we got DeRozan, and and we signed Levine, we got Lonzo Ball. Outside of Caruso, all of their role player moves, things that Gar and Pax were actually pretty decent at, the Tibbs was able to kind of elevate a little bit. All the the role moves have been have been meh at best. Derek Jones Jr. I mean, Javante Green can't play consistently. You know, Drummond and Drogic are fine, but yeah, the Patrick Williams thing has been so brutal, Aaron. And when we we shook our heads on draft night, man. And look, yeah. you know, sometimes you want to put faith into an organization, but even when we're, I mean, we're we're just basketball fans, and we even think that's a fucking weird move. You know that that's when you know you got to scratch your head, and so far it hasn't worked. The the only player I honestly would keep out of anybody is Caruso. I would keep that guy for life. He should be a bull for life. No, I'm not kidding you. He's that guy that. Everybody loves everybody else in the roster. I don't give a shit about if we trade or not. I like, I would keep AO as well. Um, but they're similar players. Like they work their ass off. And, but here, here's the question I have for you guys that Orlando trade, right? Like I'll admit when we got Vooch, I was like, Whoa, we got Vooch. Like, cool. Like awesome. You know, I know who he is. He's, he was an all-star. Um, here's the thing though, right now, would Orlando trade Wendell Carter Jr. for Vucevic? Probably not. Not for that money. No. Yeah. yeah. I think the answer that, is no. And, and then not only that, we, we could have had Mo, Mo Wagner in that deal as well. That, Franz, that was a- Franz Wagner. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Franz. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we Mo- still owe them another fucking first-round pick, dude. Yeah. Well, so it, we owe it to him this year, but it's top four protected, which is why another incentivized reason blow to up. blow this fucking thing up, right? Yep. Get into yep. that top four. Even if it isn't Wimbanyama and Scoot, that still means that the G League guy and the international guy go one and two, and then the two best college players, of yep. would, would, uh, we'll figure that out when March Madness comes around. No one knows who the best college player in basketball is right now in December, and that happens every year. But then you get a bite at the apple at that. I mean, don't we deserve that at this point? You see what Paul, Paulo Bencaro is doing when healthy for the Magic oh, yeah. right now. And that's the kind of stuff we need to start working our way into. That's that's what it is. You know, you're talking about earlier. It's like you need that superstar. We don't have that superstar. Like Levine's, oh. he, he's, he's an all-star, but he's not a superstar. And all those teams that are good, you need that. Who's the last superstar we had? D. Rose, man. I mean, and he was, you know, until you got hurt, of course. But, like, you need that guy. You need them, and we don't have that guy. So, yeah, blow it up, I guess. Yeah, Tim. Uh, Tim, weigh in on Levine. Where are you on Levine right now? Oh man, um, you know it's funny. I didn't want them to re-sign him. You know, back in the day when they first signed him to the first four-year deal, I was just like, he's good, but he's not great. Um, and that's kind of where I am now. Like, he's really good. You know, he he does a lot of things for you, but I've just never been sold on like this is a guy that's going to take you to the you know, he's not going to take you to the, even to the Eastern conference finals, let alone win you a championship. So, you know, in a perfect world, I think he's your second best player. Um, Mm. But, you know, we don't have that for, I mean, DeRozan's been great, but let's be honest, like he's, you know, he's getting up there in age and he never led anybody to the finals either. So I feel like we have like two number twos basically is where we're at. And we don't have that guy that's going to like lift everybody else up. So and that's, again, that's what I was talking about earlier. We're hitting our head on the ceiling of what this team is. It's just, we're not going to get all the way with these guys. So that's why, again, just blow it up. Yeah, I almost feel like I could be wrong. Most Bulls fans feel the same way about DeRozan and Levine. We really like them, but we don't like love them. 
you know? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. I think with DeRozan, I mean, the guy is hard not to love. I mean, hard not to like at the very least because he's so consistent and night in, night out. He at least keeps you in these games. What, we're 11-15 right now. And what would we be without DeMar DeRozan? I shudder to think, right? It would be it'd be fait accompli that we would be tanking and trying to get the number one pick if it wasn't for DeMar DeRozan. I just, man, Hagel, you know this, dude. I've, I, I, was nev- I was never a big Levine guy, but I wanted to always give him a chance. Yeah. And to be very fair, last year, you know, I don't know if it was the ligament damage that restricted him or whatever, but I thought in that first half of the season-ish, I thought he played great basketball. I really did. I thought he was trying to be a facilitator. I thought he understood that he could drive to the basket and then kick out, and that would open up more areas for him to drive and actually shoot the ball and score. Or you know, And, and then something happened along the way where the guy is, is restless. Like he cannot, he cannot not shoot a random 35-foot three-pointer when no one is asking for it with 18 seconds left on the, clock, uh, on the shot clock. Like he can't help himself and I think all the bad habits of the things that kind of pissed me off about Zach Levine in the past have kind of come back this year and I don't know maybe he's on my fantasy team I don't know the worst fantasy team of all time Um, (laughs) but but you know he's only averaging 22 points right now his numbers are down across the board the guy just signed a huge deal and he can't play back-to-back nights I mean I it's just not trending in a great direction right now and if you have any opportunity to to move him to another team. I think he'd be good on another team and I think we would benefit from it. So again, man, is this AK and Eversley? Like what's, you know, dude, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, yeah. Do is- they, do they have the balls to blow up what they just created and got, you know, everyone was patting them on the back last year. Mm-hmm. And do they have the balls to see the forest beyond the trees and say to themselves, we need to, we need to reset this thing right now. And unfortunately, I don't think it's anyone's fault. The Lonzo ball thing, right? It's not yeah. AK's fault for signing him. It's not Lonzo's fault for getting hurt. And it's not oh. anyone's fault that he's still hurt, right? Although, I, you know, I always thought it was weird that the Pelicans just let Lonzo go for nothing. So in hindsight, it's like, well, did they know something that the Bulls didn't know? I mean, I'm sure he did a whole, you know, evaluation and came back clean. Maybe. But I do think it's weird that you let this guy who was, what, a number two pick in the draft, who's great defensively. We, we love Lonzo when he's healthy. They let him walk for nothing. Kind of weird. Well, yeah, and I mean, then look at also like uh, something we haven't talked about, but look at Lowry Markkinen this year. Like, you know, that that's a guy. All who the I, former Bulls, all the Markkinen, Carter. Yeah. Good grief. Oh, it's, I know. It's like he's having like a absolutely crazy, awesome year. And I always liked him. And I always just wondered, like, he, I always thought he got stuck with, you know, a terrible coach for a couple of years there, which was just a disaster. Um, I love Billy Donovan. But then they just kind of gave up on marketing and like now you see what, what he's capable of. I almost think like that's another black mark on their record. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's it's interesting when you're kind of like you're pulling back from it a little bit with the Chicago Bulls. I think one of the, the, the mistakes of AK and Eversley was, you know, a lot of these NBA teams build their teams around types of players. And I think they went out and they just tried to buy production. And by that, I mean, you know, Wendell Carter wasn't quite coming along the way that they wanted to. Oh, have we heard this story in Chicago Bulls history before with Tyson Chandler and Jamal Crawford and Ron Artest and go down the list. And the guy wasn't producing when he's, well, I'm sorry, 22 or 23 years old. So they moved him out, even though Wendell Carter has the body type and the size and that 3 and D. The reason why they drafted, you know, Gar and Pax drafted him in the first place, he's got that body type. Well, Laurie Markkinen's the same thing, right? You know, he couldn't stay healthy. I'll be honest with you. He was... 
very, very, he was a soft player inside, but maybe that's the way that the Bulls were utilizing him. Another type of player the Bulls gave up on because he wasn't producing. And that's the part that I'm at with Patrick Williams, right? Patrick Williams has the body type of an NBA player who should be maybe one day successful. Right now, it does not look like that. And and honestly, I I mean, it's even further down. At least Markin and Carter flashed. I mean, yeah. Aaron, Aaron, P. Will, Flower Power, dude, dude. There's not, there's not a, there's not a lot going on with that dude at all, right? I mean, he passes up threes. I mean, yeah. he's just kind of out there. You know what I mean? How what, do you hang on to him? Are you giving up hope? I mean, I, I'm, I don't know what to do with Patrick Williams. I don't either. I mean, defensively, you know, that's his thing. He's a defensive stopper. He guards, you know, the toughest opponents in the other team. But offensively, it's just like there's just nothing going on at all. And you can't have a guy in a team who doesn't do any offense at all, unless you're Ben Simmons. But, um, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't know, man. My, my least favorite thing that I hear uh, when talking about a player um, is he needs to be more aggressive. Uh, <laughs> and that's what they say about Patrick Williams all the time. And it's like at a certain point, it's like he's not nine years old anymore. It's like this guy is who he is. And you can't teach someone to be more aggressive. Like it, it doesn't work that way. So when I hear that, it was like major red flags. And they're still saying it this year. Like, you know, I'm still in Chicago. I'm listening to sports radio all the time and they're, you know, they talk all the time. Well, he just needs to be more aggressive. It's like, okay, well, you know, good luck with that. Like I, I don't see it. So if he doesn't have that in him, you know, I, I don't know, man, I, to me, that's like a, that's a number four pick. That's like a, that's kind of a disaster. I was just thinking, what about uh Kobe white? You know, like he's, he's up this year. Um, they drafted him, right. They drafted Kobe. Yeah. So no, that, that was a garden packs pick. The guard packs. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, again, is I've always said he's a great six guy off the bench, that instant offense. Like I have no problem with him being that Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford kind of guy. So with his contract being up, you know, do the bulls resign him or not? Is that another case of, Hey, maybe we shouldn't let him go. Cause these other guys we have let go have turned out to be pretty damn good and just try to make him, you know, maybe sign him to a couple year contract. Well, to Tim's point, um, you know, I'm, I'm team IO on this one. So, I mean, if, if you're saying uh, you want to maybe try and hang around with Caruso and DeSumo, and I, I think Kobe White's probably the odd man out because um, you're always going to be trying to acquire and or draft people in the backcourt. And just the, just the fact that they've come back this year, which is kind of this malaise um, um, intention of defense. Like they just have no – real interest in actually trying to even play. None of them are individually great defenders, but the the fact that they, we've seen them play decent team defense before last year. And the fact that that's just completely gone now um, has been really difficult to watch. And yet, Higgs, you mentioned the schedule thing. It's really tough, right? What was the thing last year? They couldn't beat a team. They couldn't beat a playoff team. And they've beaten a couple of playoff teams this year, but now they're under 500 and and they do have bar none. um, It is factual the hardest schedule so far, the hardest schedule of teams that they've played so far has been the Chicago Bulls. Does that flip a little bit? And is it too late? I mean, they're four games under 500 to get to that six seed. You know, you do have to be, you know, they have to play almost 600 basketball the rest of the way just to get there, to stay out of the playing game. And if they're in the playing game, what are we doing here, guys? What, right. you know what I mean, what are we doing? Right. It's time to cash in. Well, dude, um, even if they're the six seed, like, I mean, who gives a shit? Like you're not going anywhere in the six seed or the four, even if they let's a miracle happen, they get to the four yeah. seed. Like who cares? 
If you're in the sixth seed, are you ready for the Cleveland Cavaliers to kick the shit out of you in the first round? Because I'm not yeah, ready for one. it. Round one sweep. Like, great. That was awesome. Like, I'd rather have a chance at Wembenyama. So. Me too. Well, the one thing we haven't talked about is the news that Alonzo may not be playing at all this year. Yeah. Like. I, I, I'm, not even, I'm not even. I'm not even. I don't even think about it anymore. I'm worried more that he that his story is going to be more wrapped up in some sort of malpractice suit that he's going to file against some surgeon than it is about whether he's going to be, you know, on a basketball court trying to play again. Because yeah. man, this this story has just been weird, right? Yeah. A, a, a minor a minor surgery and I remember last year we were like maybe we'll get Lonzo back for the playoffs last yeah. year. Yeah. You know, this is we're coming up on a year now and then he had the bone bruise, he went back under the knife, he came out of the knife and now he's still injured and still has pain when he's just running he's not even playing basketball yet i mean the guy is the guy might is never miles play again. Miles away. i'm i'm with you on that man and that would be actually a really sad a really sad story you know it's one of those nba stories of a guy that oh he was drafted number two by the lakers overall yeah um you know incredibly talented and to his credit got better at his game he wasn't yep. a guy who came in and like oh i'm fully formed i can shoot 32 percent from the field and just dish out assists he got he became a better player all around and we were seeing that last year and um i do hope that he plays again but who knows who it knows? reminds me of uh, a little bit of a brandon roy situation you know Completely. that guy was awesome he came out he was a top pick he was so good good dude like everybody liked him and you know his knees just got completely destroyed and it just ended his career yeah, yeah. sam Bowie. i mean go down the list man I mean, there's a bunch Odin. of guys that- i mean those guys are bigger but still like yeah no it's yeah, just an man. just an injury that that just robbed them of ever really having an opportunity to even really play ever again. Um, Let's do some general NBA before we get out of here really quick. I I tossed these to you guys before Um, still early in the season, but it's right around Christmas time. It's right around. We can start feeling a little serious about the NBA um, about who's up and who's down. I I find it to be really interesting in the West right now. Um, So Tim, if you want to go first on this one on top of the standings in the West, it's the Grizzlies and the Pelicans. If you had to take one of them right now, which one do you think has more staying power, um, you know, as we move forward and possibly into the playoffs? I, I'm a huge Pelicans guy. I love watching them play. They're so fun to watch. Um, I think Willie Green is a fantastic coach. I think he's the right guy for the, a lot of these young guys. Then they got CJ McCollum, who's like, you know, he's not a superstar or anything like that. But to me, he was like the perfect fit for this group of players. Um, then you got Herb Jones playing awesome defense, you know. I just, I just love their makeup and, you know, and when Zion's right, I mean, who there's almost nobody better. Like when he's firing on all cylinders and he's healthy, I mean, give that guy the ball and just get the hell out of the way. So um, the Grizzlies are really good too, but I'm, I'm a Pelicans guy. I think that uh, they actually have a legitimate shot. Like would I bet on them to win the whole thing? No. But if you told me that they made the finals this year, I, I wouldn't be totally shocked. How fun would it be in the Western Conference Finals, Pelicans versus Grizzlies? Hell yeah. Amazing. And then the cool storyline, too, is, you know. The one pick versus the two pick? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the number one pick, Zion against number two pick, Ja. No, that would be so fun, man. So fun. Yeah, and and to Zion, I mean, look, uh, everyone knows on this pod, I'm a Zion apologist. Uh, I love that dude. Um, and yeah, what is he averaging 25 points a game is 62% from the field right now. Um, you know, that's, uh, he he's, he's back baby. And the funny part about the Pelicans real quick is that they're doing it without Brandon Ingram. So when that guy comes back, you know what I mean? With CJ McCollum, 
you know, Valanciunas is having a, a great year. I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, that team is deep, stacked, and talented. Aaron, hop in. Yeah, well, I just wanted to remind you guys that in our draft, I selected Ja with my number one pick and Zion with the number two pick. Go ahead. <laughs> Back to you, Gene. <laughs> and and what, what place are you in now? Let's just, uh, let's not get it. Well, we're on the subject of numbers. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I just find it to be really interesting. I love a little bit of the changing of the guard. I still think, you know, teams like Denver, um, you know, somehow, some way, Luca's going to lead Dallas to what forty-five games, and they're going to be at least in a, a feisty round. A uh, little worried about the Warriors right now. I'll be honest with you, especially with Steph Curry now out the next couple of weeks. They're still teetering yeah. at five hundred, under five hundred. Um, you know, that's not not the best place to be. And then, of course, the Phoenix Suns. Right, they've kind of turned into. I, I, I'm kind of meaning this as a pejorative, but they kind of turned into the Utah Jazz of the NBA yeah. where they're like, no one pays attention to them anymore, but they're just going to win 50 games and everyone's going to kind of not really think about them until it comes time to think about them and maybe give them a possible shot. Uh, moving it over to the East and in the grander scheme of the NBA, I also threw out there to you, um, who do you think the MVP um, in the NBA is right now? Um, I do like the Pelicans and the Grizzlies a lot, but in my personal opinion, I think the MVP goes to one of the uh, one of the guys in the East right now, and I'm curious to hear uh, what you guys think. Aaron, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If I had to pick an MVP, I would just go Luca. I, I don't know, man. Like, that guy, every time I see him play, it's just like he does something special. Without him, the Mavs are nothing, zero. I mean, they are. Yeah. To me, he's the most important player out of any team. Every Everything goes through him. Not that other superstars don't have that, but not like Luca. So to me, he's the MVP. Mm, Tim. Yeah, I would say Luca's my number two, uh, but I would agree the MVP is in the East right now. And it's just simple. It's Giannis. I mean, he's such a stud. I think he's the best basketball player on earth right now. Um, he's won twice before. So you know how that goes. Like, it's like, eh, he's already won twice. So whatever. But it's just like, he's undeniable. Like, he's just what he does also on defense too is, is huge. Like I'm a big uh, proponent of both sides of the game. Like, you know, and that's the thing with Luca, like he's in a, probably the best offensive talent in the whole league, but you know, he's a turnstile on defense where Giannis like really comes through is he plays both sides of the floor and you're afraid of him on both sides. Like if he's coming at you on offense, you're afraid of him. If you're going at him and he's standing between you and the basket on defense, you're afraid of him. So yeah, my guy so far this season would have to be Giannis. Yeah, who's your Joe? Uh, you know, honestly, so I just think in general right now the NBA season as it's playing out, it's just playing out as one of those typical years of if you win the most games in your respective conference, it's going to give you a great shot at winning the MVP. I just think it's kind of one of those years. You know, some Jokic we've seen in years past of a guy that isn't, you know what I mean, a number one seed but wins the MVP. So right now I do have it as Jason Tatum. I mean, if you look it up, the dude's averaging over 30 points a game, about eight boards a game. Boston's kind of kicking the shit out of people. Um, mm -hmm. I, You know, it just kind of feels like it's a little bit of his year. But, man, as a very, very close second, I'm with you there with Tim, with Giannis. He's also over 30 points a game for the first time, um, I think, in his career. You know, still doing, what, a 30, 11, and 5, yeah. almost two blocks a game, a steal a game, and as you mentioned, that defense. And, man, he's, we're, he's in Milwaukee, but, I mean, he's like a version – I mean, I'm not saying anything new here. He's like a version of Shaq plus David Robinson mm -hmm. um, plus a player that I don't think we've ever seen before. And he is just – if and, and we can speak on this. I, I want you guys to just take an emotional reaction. Playing against him sucks. <laughs> like, right? I mean, just when you have your favorite team 
going up against him. And look, I knew that we weren't going to beat the Bucs last year in the playoffs. But man, just going up against him, it's just the worst, man. Especially when you start getting a little momentum and he he just gets the ball at the top of the key. You know, I'm no hoops expert. You know what's going to happen. It's yeah, like the I mean, worst the fact, feeling in the world. The fact that the guy could take three dribbles the length of the court and dunk it is crazy. Yeah. But I will say the other day they played on the Grizzlies and got completely blown out. And the one guy who did stop him was Steven Adams, man. He was bodying him up. And, you know, you can't move Steven Adams. And Giannis has, I think, worst shooting night of the year. I mean, it's an anomaly, but still. Yeah, I mean, just ask the Boston Celtics last year in that playoff series. Like, they all said that whole team was like, man, I we don't know how we got past this guy. Like, he is just a pain in the ass because he's always coming at you. He's that, you know, seven-foot body. His arms, like, stretch out seemingly for the whole court. Like, yeah, there were, all those guys were talking after that series. Like, we are so happy we don't have to see that guy again. So, yeah, I can't even imagine trying to, like, deal with that guy on a basketball court. Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah, and I'll throw it out there, too, just because I think Tatum might be the MVP. Um, I still think that the Bucks and Celtics, if they played each other this year, I'd give the edge of the Bucks as of right now. Everyone's healthy, yeah. Yeah, it's December. I mean, it's kind of tough. I, do you have do you have someone in the West? I mean, would you would you say Memphis and Pel- New Orleans are the favorites in the West right now, or it's too early? It's too early for me. I'm not even gonna like pretend yeah. to predict. I think there's like six teams in the West, honestly, that I wouldn't be surprised if you know any one of those six came out of it. I think it's a it's a real wild card this year in the West. I think the most surprising team in the West by far is Portland. Like, I did not expect them to be doing this well, especially Dame's been in and out of the lineup. Uh, I think Anthony Simons is a huge reason because of that. But, um, yeah, I was looking at the standings yesterday. I was like, holy shit, I didn't realize that they're doing that well. And in the East, the Pacers, man, like, not that they're killing it, but they're doing better than the Bulls. And I didn't think they would be better than the Bulls this year. So hats off to them. (laughs) Yeah, on a selfish Bulls level, Anthony Simons really pisses me off because in the offseason they gave him, what, a $100 million deal or something? And I I saw in his first blush, I was like, woof, that's a – that's a heavy chunk of change there. And then he got better. Yeah. I have my fantasy. No. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, really? Do you, Aaron? That's so good. <laughs> I want to, the only thing that I want to do in our fantasy league is I want to, um, I want to put up there uh, for litigation and legislation. We need like 10 IR slots. If I had 10 <laughs> IR slots, my team would actually be okay right now. But Tim, doesn't that kind of piss you off when a team signs a player for a lot of money and you're like, damn, that's a lot of money. And then the player gets, gets better because that doesn't seem to be the Chicago bulls way. That's uh, it's never the, the opposite. No. And, 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 you know, it just, the thing I, I'm still harping on like as a bit of an aside, but like we got rid of Jimmy Butler. Like he was nothing like, uh, yeah, you know what? He's kind of a pain in the ass. Let's, let's trade him. And then like, this is the homegrown guy that you drafted. Like, what, what was he like? Number 29 or something like that in the draft. And like, he works his ass off, becomes like a legitimate superstar. Like that guy in the finals, like he's a superstar. Like he led Miami all the way there almost. Um, so that, that's the type of shit that pisses me off. Like we just get rid of guys. <laughs> like we had him right here and it's just like, eh, no, we'll take, uh, you know, Minnesota's leftovers basically for the, for this guy. It was Mark Levine and uh, I forgot Chris the Dunn. other guy who's gone. Chris, Chris, Dunn. Chris, Dunn. Yeah, Chris yeah. Dunn, who's done. I don't think he's in the NBA anymore. Lowry's not on the team yeah, anymore. So yeah. basically, we traded Jimmy for Levine. No, 
Give me right. Jimmy Black. Yeah, and whether the whether the current everyday NBA player pays attention to it or not, like you, even the fact that it's out there, that the way D Rose left Chicago and the way that Jimmy Butler left Chicago, and those are yeah. both drafted, homegrown players. Yeah. Um, and then you ask yourself, why can't the Chicago Bulls ever sign a free agent um, outside of Demar Derozan? You know, Demar Derozan is one of the uh, and and Ball, but I mean, too, I think Derozan's on a little bit of a higher level. Derozan is one of the only players to ever choose the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, right? I mean, it you know goes I mean? it goes back to the to the nineties, man. They couldn't get they couldn't wait to get rid of that team. Like this all time incredible. Oh. That was like, Krauss, man. Yeah. We got to bring uh, Tim Floyd in here. Tim Floyd's the real genius. When not I Phil know. Jackson. <laughs> How funny is it too that like the current the current thing is like stay the course in the organization in an organization that in '98 said we need to rebuild yeah, after yeah. Jordan. You know we're the we're the best team of all time. Let's rebuild. Like what? <laughs> but let's see what we got with Vooch and DeRozan for another thirty games. Yeah, right. Let's uh, yeah, let's stick with these guys. I know, and I'm terrified of five years of terrible Bulls basketball. But you know, what I mean, I I only think the only way to get out of this one is to have one of those six or seven players. In the NBA, the John Morants, the Luka Doncic's, you know what I mean? I think it's kind of the, yeah. the it's it's the only it's the only way unless you, unless you are the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? And now you have a Darius Garland and an Evan Mobley, yeah, right. And then well, you the go out, and then too. you go out, and you get Mitchell. But I mean, at the same time, you know, there's no other way unless you you draft some sort of superstar. Well, I think also they can do kind of like an Anthony Simons kind of thing, whereas a guy who's on a team. You know, who's like up and coming, but he's not getting the minutes or whatever. He may, you know, need to change the scenery. We can get guys like that, but they haven't gotten that. They traded for for Vooch, a 30, 30, 31 year old guy, not the young upcoming guy where they kind of have to take a chance on him. They haven't done that yet. Yeah. And they can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's going to be interesting the next couple of months. Um, the Chicago Bulls team could either be trending in the right direction or treading in the same direction or go in a completely different direction. I mean, it's really, it's, it's really that simple. I mean, it's going to be, I mean, I, and I don't think it's going to be business as usual. Personally, I don't think they're, I think they have to do something at some point during the season. Oh, uh, we got to get out of here on bet on Chicago. Uh, today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag, 100% welcome bonus. When you use promo code believe B L E A V, what a perfect holiday gift to get a 100% welcome bonus only at BetOnline.ag football going on all next saturday next sunday too as well make sure you check it out uh i want to thank my guests here today they're the executive producers and directors of the amazon documentary music documentary party dream you can check it out on amazon right now um they're they're my friends and now gentlemen i'm so happy and proud of both of you we can't wait to see what you do next um i know it's been a long a long road so you might take some time off we're not gonna we're not gonna fault you for that one but we truly hope uh can't wait to see hopefully what your next project is going to be i'm going to say goodbye to you individually tim slokowski so great to see you man thanks for coming on the pod man super fun thanks for having us yes we really appreciate it man thank you and Hags, my hoops honcho now documentarian man um great to see you thanks for hopping on yeah thanks joy this is super cool um i always love coming on and we appreciate uh you putting us on yeah congratulations gentlemen uh everyone be well be safe please be good to each other we got more episodes coming up very soon uh come on back and remember when in doubt always bet on chicago do you believe thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube